Welcome to the podcast Rock Facts, where we talk about uh, wrestling legend and movie star Dwayne The Rock Johnson and how he went to both the same high school and middle school as me, Allison Truge. Uh, what do you think about that, Brian Hamilton? Are you going to mention that one single rock fact every time we talk about Over the Garden Wall episodes on the Incomparable Network? It's the only fact to know about rocks. Uh, if only there was a way that we could find more uh, that weren't just rock facts about Over the Garden Wall. Uh, today we're talking about episode three, School Town Follies. This is my favorite episode. This is, I think, the canonical Over the Garden Wall episode, if only because everyone knows potatoes and molasses. Well, I think also we talked a lot about in our last episode about how episode two of the series definitely like grabs the viewer for the first time uh, in a way that I don't know that episode one necessarily does. Um, But I also think that episode three, while episode two taught me that like, over the Garden Wall was something I should pay attention to, and it was very good. Episode 3 really showed me that it was something special. Because it starts out, to me, with the Adelaide song, where Greg starts singing all about Adelaide and how we don't know who she is or where she is or what she is, but wherever she is, we where is where we will go. Because <laughs> I don't know all the lyrics to that part It yet. is so charming. Underneath this cute little melody he's doing is clarinet music and a little Aww. register, which is my fave. Um, and also, the song ends really badly. Let's go to Adelaide's house. <laughs> like, it's so... It's a really unsatisfying ending to a song. And it pers- and at this point, like, we already know Greg so well. It's so charming and it's so endearing. And it sets up so perfectly this episode that is, like wall-to-wall just there's really nothing sinister about this episode it's just wall-to-wall cute adorable tone building and also like i don't know particularly for me this scratches all of my itches (laughs) like cute band music there's a line in it that says i thought we were doing important work teaching animals to read and spell and it's just it does everything for me there is a teacher that sings about her heartbreak in this episode i think uh well going back to greg's song at the very beginning i think that ending where he doesn't quite stick the landing is a nice moment of vulnerability because at this point we're like oh greg is so cute and lovely but he's not perfect because he kind of screws up the way the song ends and And he's literally a child (laughs) well yes that is very very true (laughs) uh what else the very first thing in this episode is the one thing that bothers me about it, which is the establishing of Wirt being a pushover. And this really isn't addressed at any other point in the series. It's just the crux of this episode that he's a pushover. And then to stick it to Beatrice for saying that, he joins this class of animals. So I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you did, I actually think that this is a moment where in the Over the Garden Wall comic, I will not give away too much. This isn't a plot spoiler, but in the so the comic is formatted to be in between the episodes of the show. Oh, okay. And so uh, I think it's either the first. I think it's the first book um, happens in between episodes two and three, and in that story, it is actually way more established that word is a pushover in a way that is actually really real. And I was actually going to say the same thing. That is my critique of this episode as well. That I wasn't. I didn't really understand where that was coming from. Mm-hmm. And then. In the comic, it's so well established. That makes me really, really happy. I I wonder if 
uh, like you mentioned it to me at one point off the air that they addressed some fan theories in the comic. I wonder if they were able to take the time and the criticism of the show and be like, oh, we should maybe establish this a little bit more for works. Uh, when he is a pushover in episode three. So I like that they really did that. Uh, this yeah. way of communicating with fans, having a series that has an absolute end and there is absolutely no way there will be any sort of sequel, but there's all this extra content in the format of a graphic novel comic. It is my favorite way that creators talk to an audience and talk to a series especially because the way one of the reasons that i am not a very avid comics reader is that it's very hard to keep the canon straight which is why i haven't really delved into any marvel or dc comics because there's all different storylines and timelines and universes that can be parallel or not and they intersect and the main reason that i don't read comics is because there's so much to keep up with if there is one extra canonical over the garden wall story that can kind of exist in a vacuum not not on its own but in a vacuum of this is just extra things to add to the show i feel like that's going to be very very consumable a controversial way that I think this doesn't work, that I think Over the Garden Wall accomplishes what this series doesn't, is Harry Potter, where J.K. Rowling's um, like additions to the Potter universe, at least to me, and this is as a person who super duper like grew up, idolized that series. That series is the reason that I went to school to like learn writing and literature. It really means a lot to me. But also her interactions and expanding of the universe in the way of like, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Dumbledore was gay. And then, and then like, oh, yeah, uh, Hermione can be black. And like both of those things, first of all, totally here for a black Hermione that should be canon. Why isn't it in the book? Uh, second of all, like Dumbledore being gay. Sure, that absolutely could be canon. Why isn't it in the book at all? It seems like lazy retconning just to make her feel better. I absolutely agree. And I think that Over the Garden Wall accomplishes this beautifully without doing any weird, like, retconning that, like, feels cheap in the end. Exactly, exactly. Uh, going back to the episode, I love that the inciting action here is Greg running away saying, come on, frog, we have to go save, or not, not save the day. What is, that's later. Uh, we need to, we need to do our part to make the world a better place as the inciting action. So they spend some time at a school just hanging out and doing things. And it leads to this beautiful, beautiful, idyllic red schoolhouse with ragtime music playing inside and then once they enter it's all uh students dressed up in their school best with a wonderful teacher wonderful teacher named miss langtree you forgot to mention brian that these students they are animals i mentioned that you said students they are animals <laughs> let's They're synonymous in my mind let's not forget they are animals so what <laughs> And also, I will say, this is the thing about this episode that I think is done so beautifully, that there are talking animals in this universe, namely Beatrice, but and uh, Fred the talking horse. But the thing that makes this so funny to me is that none of the animals in this schoolhouse that are literally learning to read and write and spell and count, none of them talk. They don't. They're just kind of there as set dressing. I would even say that, like, um, later in the episode, when Father takes away the instruments, like, he takes away the clarinet, and the cat goes, meow. <laughs> like, literally, they're, they're making animal sounds, and not in a way that's anthropomorphized. Like, it's just them being animals. 
And on the flip side of that, there's a moment where Greg is hanging out with the uh, rapscallion animals outside, but he knows their names. Like yeah. He calls one of them Jeffrey. I pointed this out to Brian. He like went to the raccoon. He's like, Jeffrey, look over there. He knows all their names somehow. Or <laughs> knowing Greg, he probably just named them all himself. But That's still. true. I also love, so we've established, or the show has established rather, that Over the Garden Wall values aesthetic a lot and it values uh, how it looks and how it feels a lot so when you stumble upon this idyllic red schoolhouse filled with animal students and a very classic once the bell has rung class has begun kind of way of schooling you just kind of accept that as oh this is really cute and like makes me feel really good about myself in a way that most other things don't but the payoff comes later when father comes back and says i thought we were doing important work teaching animals to count and spell like they make a joke out of their own aesthetic choices and kind of do a tongue-in-cheek yeah we realize this is silly and it's just it works so well this episode is everything to me i want to talk about so we're in the schoolhouse and Mrs. Langtree starts singing this song to teach them the alphabet, but every letter corresponds to her, like, boyfriend who has left, and, like, she is just, like, really emotional about it, and that is everything about me. Allison Trudes, do you have anything to say about this song? A is for the apple that he gave to me when he first said hi. H-I. So, there's an extended version of this online that we will put in the show notes. Truge. This was your favorite song for a solid, like, two months last year. <laughs> it was. And the thing that you learn when you listen to the entire extended version of the song. So, first of all, it's incredibly, like, it's so smart. The lyrics are really smart in that, like, she goes through the entire alphabet. But it's not like A is for, it, like, the first lyric is like A is for the apple. But then they go through, like... One of the lyrics is like, when he first says hi, and then it goes H-I. That's actually, I put it in the wrong place when I was just singing it Oh, now. you know what it is? G is for the gentleman I thought he was when he first said hi. H-I. And then goes on to J. So they do clever things with it that isn't even, the sh- there's maybe nine seconds of the song in the show, but they still recorded and wrote a whole version of the song, which also includes... It includes numbers. <laughs> and they go, and she goes... One is the number of men I loved. Two is the times I'll say it's you. It's you. Three is the number of days you've been gone, but it feel like, but it feels like four times two. So, in the show, Miss Langtree is complaining about how that no good Jimmy Brown stole her heart, but she's been gone three days. It makes it seem like he's been gone for a really long time, and he eight has been days, gone. in fact. <laughs> he has been gone for three days. It's. <laughs> As it's revealed later, when uh, it's revealed that he is in... That's right, Dolan. I am the gorilla. When it's revealed that he is in a gorilla suit at the end, he mentions, I went to the circus to get a job to buy you a wedding ring, but I got stuck in the thing and nobody has been able to help me out. And also, like, same. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of that gorilla... In terms of aesthetic decisions for Over the Garden Wall to make a silly universe where all these things are just happening for the sake of making a fun show, when Miss Langtree is saying, oh, my, my Jimmy Brown is gone and that no good gorilla's on the loose, it, it's such a non sequitur every time it's brought up. And it's so funny in a way that I just can't put my finger on. Well, and then it's like, you know, on, on your second watch, you're like, he is the gorilla. 
He's the gorilla. <laughs> can we talk about potatoes and molasses? Yes, yes, we can. So, uh, Wirt is sent to the dunce box for Beatrice calling out. Uh, she continues to sing, and then uh, outside, the gorilla is. Uh, before we get to potatoes and molasses, there the gorilla attacks, attacks quote unquote, uh, and just kind of shows up and scares everyone. That little sequence is so classic animation with the music and the action and the physical comedy feels very early twentieth uh, century to me in a very wink wink nudge nudge homage way, but still very genuinely over the garden wall. Well, and I think. Something that this show teaches you is normal pretty early on. It's kind of like the the anachronisms become... It kind of like creates a timeless effect, which makes it so that you don't necessarily question, for example, what time we're in. Uh, for example, I'm pretty sure that schoolhouses... I'm pretty sure that that was like a thing that happened... Oh, man, I don't want to date myself and then people be like, wow, true, do you know nothing about history? But I'm pretty <laughs> sure that schoolhouses were a thing in, like, the early 19th century, in the, like, early 1800s. I'm thinking, like, before the Civil War. That makes sense to me. But also, she's kind of dressed in this, like, turn-of-the-century kind of way. I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, really misreading the way that this history goes and it's all turn of the century but i feel like that kind of anachronism happening definitely ties in well i mean we can at least say that when we're at pottsfield they're sort of dressed a little bit turn of the century but they're also dressed as pumpkins so like they <laughs> could kind, kind of, of overshadows it. <laughs> they could kind of be set at any time but this setting is like like her her clothing is distinctly turn of the century and like the, the idea of the schoolhouse, I think, is not is, is a little bit earlier than turn of the century. Again, could be wrong about that. But that's kind of what I'm getting at, is this idea of timelessness. Another layer of anachronisms on top of that is that recorded physical uh, visual media was not a thing until the turn of the century, uh, the turn of the 19th to 20th century. And on top of all of those anachronisms throughout the 19th century, there was no, say, slapstick animation or Three Stooges or any sort of, like, uh, all the characters running around the tree, even though it's very, very silly. And it, it, it's it's funny, but it makes no sense in terms of how to run away from someone or something. Yeah, and so it, it kind of just comes across as like, oh, this is sort of a period piece, but only in the way that someone in 2014 could tell it. Only in the way that 2014... Harkening back to somebody in 1914, harkening back to things in the uh, 19th century, it, it all works so beautifully. It's a layer cake of anachronisms. Uh, but there is that, and then they run on top of the school building and ring the bell, which makes Miss Langtree think, oh, it's mealtime already? Well, we gotta obey the bell. Come on, let's go have a meal. And what is that meal, Allison Truge? It's potatoes. And what does Greg add to it? Molasses. Do you like molasses, Allison Truge? I hate it. I love molasses so much. I feel like molasses is really bad, and I actually think the idea of putting it on mashed potatoes is, like, really disgusting. Molasses is just better syrup. I love it so, 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 molasses so much. Molasses is just syrup with less sugar. But more flavor. To me, molasses tastes kind of like pumpkin pie. Ooh. And I don't like pumpkin pie. Well, I'm sure the people of Pottsfield would be very, very grateful for that. 
<laughs> I don't want to eat their costumes. What about potatoes and molasses makes it the quintessentially over the garden wall thing? I feel like that is the thing everyone picks up from over the garden wall. Because it's adorable and it makes absolutely no sense. And it's born <laughs> of the good hearted nature of Greg. And he it, it establishes him, you know, he's already been established as like the pure, not like not the straight man like like Wirt. Like he's been established as like really pure and like good intentioned even though he literally suggests they steal the instruments um <laughs> and i think that it's what the show stands for and also it's so catchy one of the lyrics to this song is potatoes and molasses if you can't see them put on your glasses it's just greg coming up with rhyming things that rhyme with molasses it's so so beautiful i also love that the uh inciting action of it is hey teacher play something like this bang 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 bang. and she somehow discerns the melody of the song and every other like from that it's so pure and sweet and as in all musicals somehow everyone else in the room is able to get instruments and learn how to play along (laughs) it's just it's really adorable and it's catchy as heck and it I think that, like, Potatoes and Molasses is one of the moments in this show where it separates itself from just, like, a story of two boys lost in the woods that we've heard a million times and that we're just going to, like, talk about tropes and kind of, like, redo them and rethink them. Uh, It establishes Over the Garden Wall as something that also stands on its own. This is something else I had in my notes. This is the first episode of the show where there is diegetic songs being sung by characters, where it's not, say of recording of Patient Is The Night piped in uh, by the producers to say, this is a montage, we're playing things. A diegetic uh, piece of music or a diegetic song is something that is being, uh, which has a reason to be played in universe on screen. Wouldn't you say that Adelaide Parade also fits that mold? Yes, this episode has the first diegetic music in the show. Gotcha. uh, Because there's the Adelaide Parade, there's the alphabet of uh, baggage, and then there's potatoes and molasses, and then a reprise later. This episode is very out of character based on the other two. It's nowhere near as dark, but it's just as charming and sweet. And I feel like the rest of the show has a fair number of elements from all three of these initial episodes with the charming uh, nature of this first uh, of this first uh, diegetic music in the show along with how dark things get as things go on this is a very well-defined moment for the show in that if this episode weren't here a lot of the rest of the musical decisions of the show wouldn't make sense I think well and also I would say that this episode, really well balances the show because there's so much dark that happens after this episode. This is the only episode that occurs where, like, it's wall-to-wall, like, totally, like, the only thing about it is that it's cute and it's fun to watch. Um, Except for when we get to Cloud City, but that also, Brian's theory is that it's got this underpinning of, like, dread to it that we'll get to later. Hello. Um, (laughs) But it's the one episode where... It's just meant to be a good time. And I really think that that makes this series not a drag, if that makes sense. Um, one of my like common critiques of a lot of horror movies is that like they just go on and on and on and on and on. And like it's, it's like a marathon to get through them. This episode to me is what makes Over the Garden Wall watchable even more. And it's the reason that I've watched it over and over and over again is that like it really gives you breaks. And I think that's what this episode is doing. 
I agree. It's also, again, one of the first misadventures they go on where they kind of have their own adventure that doesn't so much affect the rest of the story. We never see any of these characters again, I don't think, except for maybe a uh, like a vignette at the very end of the show. But it's just a sweet thing that happens. And character-wise for Greg Wharton Beatrice, it gives Greg a moment to say, come on, let's go save the day and then come up with a benefit concert for the school and things like that. And it's very sweet and innocent and it gives Greg a chance to shine as the pure-hearted soul that he is in a world that that I theorize the show kind of builds for itself to be this incredibly sweet 11 and a half minutes of television. I didn't do any research on this because this thought just popped into my head. I think this is the only episode of the show that doesn't end on, well, let's move on and go on the rest of our adventure, like the other ones do where uh, the party kind of goes on and says, well, let's see what happens next. This episode ends on a fade of Greg seeing potatoes and molasses. That's true. I mean, it ends on a really sweet note, and I think that that like, just complements the rest of the episode. Yeah, I, I, I think this is all I have to say about it. It's such a sweet, good episode, but there's not much to say analyze here about. I have a few things in my note. Uh, Wirt without his hat is very cute. Uh, Greg without his hat is very cute. This is just a pure, sweet episode. and even There's though- not a lot to it. And for an episode that, I, that I, I feel like one of the reasons I love it so much is that there's so much to it that doesn't meet the eye in the first time you watch it. It still makes me like love it even more. I just... The tone building in this episode is unlike anything I've ever seen. I agree. I agree. Uh, The music is very silent movie at the end. It's very singular piano having to take the weight of every single other instrument in the orchestra doing the timing of the episode. Like there's a uh, like one single organ player at a movie theater trying to uh, you know do the entire score for a silent movie. I think it works beautifully for the uh, for the era. Yeah, I just think. It's perfect, and I love it, and you should go watch it right now. Brian, <laughs> we've only doubled the runtime of the episode this episode. What? No, that's impossible. We need to go at least three or four or five times. No, I'm okay with two times. <laughs> I think we can cut it here. Yeah, let's cut it here. Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Rock Facts. Bye! Bye!